Hey, Northeast Pennsylvania, it's Rob O'Donnell here on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcast by searching The Rob O'Donnell Show. 309 here, 62 degrees and cloudy on this Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Beautiful day outside, another beautiful day in Northeast Pennsylvania. When I was driving down to the studio, I did see a brush fire off of 81 just north of the Geisinger CMC parking lot down there in the woods. Um, headed down by just up north of the gorge, but down there on the wooded area in the side, causing a lot of smoke to blow towards Scranton. So if you're smelling smoke in downtown Scranton, if you're around, I don't know how long that fire was going on. Um, you know, I didn't hear anything about it, so I figured I'd let you know. There, there was a mild brush fire. It was not in the risk of any homes. Fire department was on the top of the hill uh, between any homes and the fire itself. And again, the fire was burning downwards more towards 81, where there's nothing but the highway there to stop it. So... If you do smell smoke in the Scranton area, that's why you are. There was a brush fire. And it's uh, starting early this year, but I guess with the dryness and the warmer weather, you know, we are going to see them flare up. So uh, be cautious out there. Be careful with uh, with uh, starting or doing anything brush fires. Um, already getting some text messages in. You can call or text at 570-883-0098. Got a little distracted before I came in the studio today. There's some things I, I want to talk about. I, I ran through the, uh, the all the footage and the body cam footage from the Houston Police Department on the active shooter at Joel Olstein's Lakewood Church. Uh, they released it yesterday. I was able to go through it. Um, I mean, I, I'd recommend you not look through it. It's uh, pretty sad. Pretty sad what that woman did to her child. And uh, as a parent, it was uh, devastating what I saw um, her put that child through. We're going to talk a little bit about that in, in a bit, and I'm going to walk you through that video so you don't have to watch it yourself. Uh, there were several different videos. They had surveillance video from the church itself from all different angles, and they had body cam footage from the officers, the different officers that were at the scene. And, and again, I'm going to walk you through that, what I saw, what I didn't see, what I would have liked to have seen. Um, I'm going to try not to be too critical, but there were things that I saw that just it's, it's, we need to do better as far as our response to these things. Uh, not that I don't think it would have done anything because there were no more injured. The child was injured pretty quick, and then the, the mother, the active shooter herself, was put down uh, pretty quickly after that. Thankfully, not many other people. I, I think there was one other individual bystander that was struck that, that was had minor injuries, but that was it. Um, but we're starting... This about an hour ago, yeah, exactly an hour ago, the hearing for Terrence Bradley, who is Nathan Wade's partner and attorney for his divorce proceedings, it was his business partner, his friend, and his attorney for his divorce proceedings, um, tried to claim privilege when he testified two weeks ago, and the, the judge sat through an interview with him privately in the chambers and said that some of the things were not privileged, and he was recalled to the stand now, and. Between Fannie Willis, Nathan Wade, and this Terrence Bradley, I'm really thinking of going to law school because if these idiots can make law school and get a degree in law, it's unbelievable uh, what you're seeing. I mean, these are three of the dumbest people that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's interesting how this Terrence Bradley, he can recall details. Now, again, it's the dates they're trying to get him down to. When did this relationship start? 
and he has text messages with the attorney that's cross-examining him, who, who's, who's questioning him the, the, in this case, who he sent text messages to. And he kind of summed it up, well, I don't have any personal knowledge. I just kind of made it all up. It was all speculation. And then she's like, well, you said you were in your office with Nathan Wade, and he told you these things. Yes. What date was that? I don't recall. I don't know. Okay, tell us about that. Well, I know there was no one else in the room. I know exactly where we were sitting. I know what we were wearing. I know how dark it was. I know what the room was like. I know who was there and who wasn't there. I know what we ate, but I don't know what time or approximate day it was at all. I don't recall that because that's the important relevant facts. And it's, it's amazing how he knows every little detail except for the ones that matter. Anytime he's being questioned on a specific and you can watch this live. It's going on. Fox News is showing it live right now. I'm sure it's on other areas. I know Court TV was thinking about doing some things with it. Um, anytime he's asked a very specific question, he falls into this, I don't know. And he's looking right at Nathan Wade, who's sitting at the attorney's table with his attorneys. And there's, there's three or four attorneys sitting there. And he looks at them, waits for them to give him the go-ahead and no-go-ahead to answer it. And the, the attorney prosecuting him, in, um, not prosecuting him, questioning him, uh, had, had mentioned that in court, that any question I ask him, he's looking for his attorneys for approval or how to answer or wait for them to object. They're objecting for pretty much everything, and the judge is like, we've gone over this already, it's not privileged. Um, you could tell that the judge isn't buying it anymore, but it's amazing. Um, you know, even the attorney who brought this case up um, it, it's she's she's keen on things, but being in as many courtrooms, and again, she's the lawyer, but being in as many courtrooms as I have, she has text messages with him, and she needs to be more specific about what she's questioning him on. There, there's questions, text messages, but the mere fact that he said, "Well, I, I'm," I speculated, I don't know for sure. So you send a text message saying that they were in a relationship while they were both magisterial court judges, which was long before the date both of them testified under oath that they said the relationship started. And he's now he's saying, well, I just speculated. I, I just said that. Well, so you made it up? You lied? Or No, I just speculated. And the, the attorneys get in with, of course, their mumbo-jumbo saying, you know, speculation is in, inadmissible, blah, blah, blah. But, yes, speculation is relevant if you're an attorney and you testified falsely and the judge made that clear and let the testimony go on and it's going on now for something I thought was going to last maybe 40 minutes. Uh, it's really dragged on because again, this, this Terrence Bradley, who is Nathan Wade's, the special prosecutor's former partner, business partner and attorney is um, stonewalling at every chance he can get. I mean, he's playing dumb. I don't know. I have no clue. I don't recall. Uh, but he remembers every other little detail about the incident and why the attorney's not keying in on that, saying, well, you remember this, you remember this, you remember all these little details, but you can't even tell us a year that this happened. You can't tell us a month that it happened, but you remember who was in the room with you when these things happened. And I think, you know, being in courtrooms and criminal cases, that's things that I would key on. That's the questions I would ask just to show the judge and everyone else, including the jury that's sitting there, um, how non-compliant you are, how uncooperative you are, how incredible, uh, un, incred, uncredible you are as a witness. And again, this is attorney, an attorney. 
Uh, playing attorney games, of course. There's text messages, tons of text messages back and forth, emails. Uh, he's trying to pick and choose and cherry pick. You know, when she she sent him before she filed the divorce proceedings, because she is the, the attorney for the wife, Nathan Wade's former wife, in the divorce proceeding. That's where all this started. And she said, when I sent you your motion and I asked you, were there any corrections that were needed? You said, well, there was this a fee he got in a contract. He goes, that was wrong. Can it, this is the true fee for that. And she said, okay, any other issues that uh, need to be addressed in her motion? And the motion said that the relationship, it, it stated and accused that the relationship started prior to 2021. And he says, no, no. And this is in an email exchange. No, no, uh, no, no other issues. Good to go. And now he's trying to stay, say, well, I just meant for that thing that I told you to change is good to go. And she's like, well, I said, are there any other issues? We discussed that already, and I changed it and put it back in for you, and I asked you, are there any other changes? And he goes, well, I misunderstood you. That's what it wasn't I talking about. I was talking about that fee that you changed. And trying to narrow down his statement to where he said good to go should have reviewed as a lawyer, as Nathan Wade's lawyer in this divorce proceeding, should have reviewed the entire um, case and said, no, there's no credibility that this relationship took place before 2021, or I have no knowledge of this took place before 2021. And now he's trying to play dumb and, and pick and choose his answers in text messages back and forth with this woman, uh, who was the attorney for Nathan Wade's former lawyer. So, you know, that's what we have going on. If you want to watch uh, the Jerry Springer show again on, uh, on uh, TV down in Atlanta, uh, Terrence Bradley, who is Nathan Wade's, the special prosecutor, hired by Fannie Willis, his attorney and former business partner, uh, which is going to give credibility to both Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis possibly lied before the court. So we're going to see where that goes. And again, this has nothing to do with the case itself. They could be removed from the case and it could be put up for another prosecutor. The thing there, another prosecutor can decide not to pursue a RICO charge saying it's not a prosecutable case. If that happens or not, we have no idea. This has totally separate from that, but it's interesting that a special prosecutor and a district attorney for the county in Georgia who is accusing Donald Trump, former president, of lying when it comes to election interference in Georgia are lying themselves about a relationship they have, payments they made, contracts they gave, did she give one to her boyfriend or not, and such like that. So it just perpetuates the clown show. And again, you want to prosecute the former president of the United States, by all means, if you believe you have the evidence and they brought it to a grand jury, and they obviously did because a grand jury decided to move forward with this, then you better be above bar. And that's not what we're seeing in this case specifically and other cases as, as we move forward down the law. And let them run their course. I've always said that from the start. If you get a grand jury indictment, let it go through the process. Let it go through the court. Let's get a decision. Let's go through the appeals process, the multiple levels of appeal process. And if it stands at the end, it is what it is. So, uh, you know, that's what we have with that. Again, with this uh, body cam video from the, uh, the Joel Olstein Lakewood Church, you have the shooter pull up in the drop-off lane of the church. She uh, parks her car, puts her blinkers on, gets out, takes her seven-year-old son out of the car. He's wearing a T-shirt and what looks appears to be sweatpants type thing. She's wearing a long tan trench coat, the 
a backpack over the trench coat where you could see the backpack on. She uh, had the, the, the rifle concealed in the trench coat. She walks into the church. There are probably about a dozen, maybe a little more people standing in the lobby area. There is a uniformed police officer standing there doing security. But she's wearing a trench coat. She's got a little child who's wearing a very colorful T-shirt and sweatpants, walks by, walks in, and within seconds starts opening fire. You see the crowd immediately run. Uh, The officer that was there comes around, directs people to flee the area, and gets into immediate gun battle with this woman. Um, He gets pinned down in a vestibule like a, a cubby area that goes into uh, doors that enter the main church. It was like a little cutout behind the wall. He gets uh, pinned down in there from rapid rifle gunfire. But he got a couple of rounds off and and stopped her. Then you have a a plainclothes, a gentleman in a suit who was armed, who was off-duty, hired police officer to work at the facility as well, engages the woman from the other side. You could see the child hiding in the same kind of cubby. You know, when you when there's like a, a small hallway before you open the doors to go into the main, that's what I mean by cubby. It's like a, vesti- a small vestibule area, like a, a, a small transverse hallway. And the child is in there, and you can see the child holding his ears as his mother's shooting this weapon, and they, she's being shot back at by the police officers that were there doing security. At one point, the child reaches to his mother goes to grab and embrace and hug her waist and hold her like, you know, protect me. Stop, stop this. What's going on here? Um, She pushes the child away and again opens fire. There's another exchange of gunfire and the child is tragically struck in the head and and falls to the ground. Uh, They do blur that out, but you can make out what happened. You just can't see any detail in the matter. Uh, She continues back and forth. And uh, through the exchange of gunfire between the two officers, they finally get her to to withdraw. She leaves her son behind. She takes out a knapsack, and she starts rummaging through it and spilling stuff on the ground and working with a night back. And you can hear in, in the details, she says, I have a bomb. Don't come near me. I have a bomb. Then she's saying, you killed my son. I'm going to set off this bomb if you come near me. And she kept mentioning that. Um, she did fire, pick up the weapon and fire more rounds. There were de- another exchange of gunfire and, uh, she was, she was, uh, put down at that point. They came up, uh, they were cautious. You can hear them talking that she did say she had a bomb. They're calling for an additional units, two additional units who, in my opinion, should have moved in quicker because they also included their body cam. Uh, they, they did hesitate too long from the training that I know and from, what I've seen in active duty, duty situations, I mean, they were openly praying, uh, the officers saying, you know, God protect us, uh, but had their weapons out, had their body cams on, but didn't initiate the contact. And they only proceeded forward when the uh, other officers initiated contact and they realized there was already an engagement in place. And then they came up and supported those officers. So glad they were there. But if they would have come up and uh, assisted the other two officers that were already engaged with the shooter more rapidly. I think it would have been a faster outcome. But again, thankfully, there were no no other injuries. So we can't say that there was any negligence there because other people weren't injured because of their delay. But they, they did delay in their response. 
with that. Um, so that's a walk through that, and we could discuss that further as we come through the show. We got a lot of other things to discuss during the show today. It's four three twenty four here at WILK. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Just uh, trying to bring up this next story here. It appears that uh, any NEPA schools are getting ready for a virtual SAT. Come next month, high school students across Northeast Pennsylvania will trade pencils and paper for computers to take the SAT. While educators are prepared for it and see as a sign of increasing digital education landscape, others are apprehensive about the logistics of administering a digital-only standardized test. Now, this is not an at-home test. You have to take it supervised. There will be a moderator in the, in the room, a monitor. Uh, to uh, make sure that there's no cheating or anything like that. You're not looking up answers. Beginning next month, test takers will use laptops or tablets and be monitored in a monitored site. College Board, which administers the test and related to PSAT, also shortened it from three hours to around two hours. So two benefits there. You know, no paper and pen, pencil or pen, whatever you use. It's uh, reduced down to two hours. Educators across the region said they spent months preparing students, and while they are confident, some anticipated hiccups. Everything ready to go is not reasonable. Everything ready to go is not reasonable to expect, said Peter Smith, Abington Heights School District Director of Student Services. In a little more than 20 years, he has administered the SAT. He said some students don't arrive with material ready to take the paper test. Smith expects it won't be any different with the digital version. He also worries about whether high school technology infrastructure is ready for many students taking a long test. Prior to administering the digital PSAT in the fall, he said some students had to be provided a laptop and others had problems opening the app to take the test on. Well, you would think after COVID and all the money, the millions upon millions of dollars that the American taxpayer has funded, funneled towards schools for Chromebooks, for digital infrastructure, for better internet, faster internet, uh, you'd think they'd have that better figured out. So I understand what they're saying, but I don't care. Uh, the taxpayer has funded this to where it should work properly. Everyone else figured out how to do it. Schools supposedly figured out how to do it. So um, figure it out. Officials at Lakeland School District decided not to administer the SAT in the spring after the testing system for the PSAT crashed, forcing officials to reschedule it, school counselor Zachary Waters said. He hopes the problems will be sorted out by the fall. Well, so did the taxpayer who's funded everything to this day. And again, it all comes back to the tax. And listen, we want our kids to be successful. I've had three kids go through the Lakeland School District, no doubt. You know, I want them to be successful, but I'm tired of excuses. We've paid, and just in the Lakeland School District, hundreds of thousands of dollars for digital infrastructure, for Chromebooks, for laptops, for the, the Internet programs, the hookups, everything you need. If you don't have the people in place to figure it out, then get them there. Fire the ones that can't figure it out and figure it out. And, I'm, and this is not just Lakeland High School. I'm just using them as an example because we all know every school spent all this money. That millions upon millions of dollars in the COVID bills went to school districts for remote learning, digital learning. So every student would have a book. 
if we're not teaching our students enough to be able to open up, if we're not teaching our students to bring their laptop for a laptop-based computer test, then our, our schools are failing more than we know. And yes, I understand there are always students who don't show up with number two pencils. All right, well, you know what? You need to do a better job. Parents need to do a better job. If you know your kid's taking an SAT and it's computer-based, I'm sure the school sends some sort of information home. Make sure it's charged just in case there's not a power outlet anywhere near it. Make sure there's a charging cable with you. Make sure you have everything you need. Make sure the computer is updated if it needs to be updated. I mean, these aren't hard things this day and age. This isn't 30 years ago. So you got a less test, but uh, some school districts in our area aren't prepared for it. Just as this article, where was this article from? Uh, the Times Tribune. Christine, uh, Christine Lee, staff writer over there. So uh, we'll see how this goes. And... Hopefully, the state mandates an after-action report because that's what everybody else would do, right? You do an after-action report. What failed, what didn't fail. It should be presented to the taxpayers, to the school board, to the people. And hopefully, the newspaper follows up with that. What kind of results were there? How many failures were there? How many kids couldn't, have to, couldn't take it and have to take it back? Are those kids who have technical difficulties are going to get a retest? Because the SAT costs a lot of money. Believe me, I've had three kids take it multiple times. It's uh, 3.33 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michaels. Good to have him back. You with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio on this Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Uh, apparently that brush fire is out in Scranton. It was over by the playground area of Naog Park. So should uh, maybe be able to smell a residual smell of smoke. But if you do, that's what it was, and it's out. Fire Department in Scranton got it all covered as they always do. First responders out there doing God's work day in and day out. God bless them all. Well, school officials view the state funding plan as a game changer and transformative. That's what they're calling it. Local school officials from some of the most underfunded school districts in the state are enthusiastically endorsing massive funding increases proposed by Josh Shapiro and a plan to resolve litigation over the adequacy of the state school's funding system. School districts could lower class sizes with more teachers, hire additional teachers and grow uh, for the growing number of English language learners in schools. This is coming from our local newspapers. I'll read that again. And hire additional teachers for the growing number of English language learners in schools. Pay for overdue building projects, fund technology improvements, and maybe even reduce local property taxes. It's refreshing after that after decades of inadequate school funding system, the proposed basic education allocations would increase to levels that would be conducive to school districts who would truly benefit from the fair funding system. This is a game changer, Wyoming Valley West Superintendent David Tosh said. Is a first step towards a thorough and efficient system of much-needed education reform. This is a great thing. Now, it's, it's adding $1.1 billion to the school district's funding, totaling $8.9 billion. Now, you have uh, 
Shenandoah Valley Superintendent Brian Waite commended Shapiro for putting forward a first-year transformative plan and said, one of our priorities is investing in and growing in our professional staff that work with our students each day. And it goes on. And and school districts are going to get millions of dollars more, a lot of them, in funding. Shapiro's budget would provide a 24% increase to school districts in Luzerne County in basic education subsidies. That would add $57.4 million and totally near $296 million. Hazleton area is going to get a 37.8% increase. And it goes on. That's just a, you know, I'm just giving you uh, a, an idea of what this means. Wilkes-Barre area, 32.5% boost would total $15.4 million. And three other school districts in Luzerne County would see increases that exceed 26%. Here's the caveat to this. And parents and members who taxpayers in these districts need to remember this. There better be results. There better be results. You are getting the biggest influx of money that you've ever gotten. And you've said year after year after year with poor test scores going further and further down. Well, we need more money. Well, we need more money. We need to reduce class sizes. We need better staff. We need to hire more staff. We need to to fix our buildings so kids are in a better environment to learn. You're going to get all that now. And you better prove it was worth it. Because if not, you are giving a test case that throwing money at a failed system doesn't work. There's a double-edged sword to this. And I think it's a great thing that school districts are getting this much-needed money. Two things, you better spend it wisely, and you better show results for our children. Because this is going to set a timeline. There's going to be monitoring from this point on. We put all this money towards this, and all this education funding was made adequate through the funding system, court system, looked into it and said, this is the game changer. There better be results. Test scores better go up. Students better be doing better. Systems better be more efficient. Because if not, we have a real-world test case here in Pennsylvania that not only school districts in Pennsylvania should look at, but school districts around the nation should look at. Because there's not many school districts that can say this is happening in their state. So Pennsylvania and the school district specifically, you better live up to it and you better make good on it because your time is ticking now. When this takes place, results are going to be monitored. And if you come back with excuses of why it didn't, then maybe the whole system needs to be changed because you failed. So that's the double-edged sword here. I'm glad you got the money. I hope you do great things with it. I hope our kids do great things. If they don't, you have a lot of questions to be answered. And a lot of you shouldn't have a job. We'll see what happens. Hopefully for the best. 344 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show. Here with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. You can call or text at 570-883-0098. Pastor Mitch, thanks always for checking in. Um... Bet kids who didn't bring their number two pencils will get their college loans forgiven after it takes them six years to get a degree on gender identification. 
Good afternoon, Rob. I enjoy the show. I'm 55 years of age. So when I was in uh, middle school and even high school, you'd never even sign your name to do the SAT. So we basically just blew through it and really didn't care. Not sure how it works these days. Well, the SAT is taken in high school. You take the PSAT earlier. I'm not even sure. What's that, 7th or 8th grade? And the SAT you could start taking after your ninth grade? 10th grade? 10th, 11th, 12th maybe? I don't know. I forget. It's only been a couple of years. I'm glad I'm past those stages, but it is a is a trying time, you know, setting up all that. Um, somebody says that a good bit of the money will go to the teachers' unions, then laundered to Democrat politicians who will then vote for raises for teachers. Well, the the once this funding is set, their excuses dwindle away, no more. So the timeline starts. Where are the results? Where are the results? You were given this percentage increase, more money than you've ever been given in your lifetime at one time. And what did you do with it? So there's going to be questions asked, and they should be answered. And it's up to members of the community, voters, people who live in those areas and those districts to hold their school board members accountable who better hold the school officials accountable. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, uh, just a heads up. I saw this on CNN Health. Yeah, I check all the the news networks before I come to you guys, and even CNN, I know. Well, I was looking at CNN Health, and it says the norovirus cases continue to climb, especially in the Northeast. That's why I bring it to your attention. Um, The week ending February 17th, more than 12% of tests for norovirus, a common and very contagious virus that causes gastrointestinal symptoms. So this is a, causes more of a stomach bug. So it says uh, in the Northeast, tests were more than 13% of tests came back positive. Positive rates in the region have been over 13% since late January. So it's nothing new, but just so you're aware, you know, make sure you clean your surfaces, make sure you wash your hands, use your hand sanitizer. I was never a big mask fan whatsoever. Um, hey, if you wanted to wear a mask, have at it. But my thing was, um, I'm, I'm very big on hand sanitizer. I use hand sanitizer every time I come out of a store. I use it every time I get gas. Um, you know, anytime I'm out in public or doing things and I get in my car, I have it right in the center console. I use it. So, uh, you know, we, we, we have that there. So uh, take advantage of it because um, that's one of the things that does work. I mean, it's not a catch-all, but, you know, washing your hands is a good practice. And if you can't wash them, you're using a hand sanitizer in your vehicle when you're out on the go, the little clip on your purse or your, your clip belt works. 3.50, time for the Bloomberg. The Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins host the Charlotte Checkers in a pair of games this weekend. First up is another 28-22 Fan Friday at 7.05 p.m. And the first 1,200 fans through the gates will receive a Sidney Crosby Pittsburgh Penguins bobblehead, courtesy of PBG. Fans 21 and older can enjoy $2 drafts from 6 to 7.30, courtesy of Coors Light. And all fans can take part in a post-game autograph sessions with a pair of Penguins players. The team wraps up their season series on Saturday night with a 6.05 puck drop. Tickets are available at WPSPenguins.com. Go Pens! We're back with the Rob O'Donnell Show here on WILK News Radio. And I, I saw this story, and it's something I've touched on a couple of times because they're not being um, 
how should I put it? Well, let's see. Let, I'll read the story for you. Scranton plans to reallocate federal ARPA funds for violence prevention. And there's a picture of Chief Thomas Carroll of the Scranton Police Department with the mayor and the district attorney behind him. It was the press conference that I was at the Scranton Police Headquarters for Detective Gil Martin. Um, and, I, and I understand why they have that there, because they want it to seem like the police department is... Uh, is uh, approving, which they, they could be, for the for this violence pretension. More than a month after Scranton Police Detective Kyle Gilmartin was shot twice in the line of duty, Mayor Paige Gebhard-Cognetti's administration proposed reallocating nearly $600,000 in federal funding for violence pre prevention efforts. Sounds great, right? I'm 100% for that. We have to reduce violence. We're seeing what's going on in our area. City Council tabled the legislation last week that would repurpose $580,626 in Federal American Rescue Plan Act funding for violence prevention pending an explanation of how the money would be deployed. Cognetti, who will join other administration officials Tuesday to discuss the proposal with Council, said the goal is to seed some funding. I'm sorry. The goal is to seed fund some sort of community violence intervention program that aims to reduce and prevent violence through targeted interventions. So they just want the money aside for some sort of community violence, violence intervention programs. So she's asking for more than half a million dollars of this federal funding to have available for something she may do in the future. Not sure. Scranton is currently working with a consultant, and here's where it gets fishy. Washington, D.C.-based Muffelhunt to develop a more strategic approach to counter gang and youth violence by identifying community stakeholders, resources, services, and potential gaps that must be filled to prevent crime. I'm going to stop right there. I've talked about this company, Muffelhunt. They're a Washington, D.C. think tank from the Obama administration that did a report for Scranton, the city of Scranton, a while ago that Scranton would not release the details to their city council, where it basically said that veterans are threats to the area. It talks a lot about white supremacy for our area, or in general. That's the basis for this company. They talk about the groups that I just said, and the fact that they did a study, they were paid to do a study by Scranton taxpayers, and this administration, the Cognetti administration, was not, not a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not willing, because it's willing to give full disclosure to the city council who approved the funding for this study, and they had to argue back and forth to get details on what the first study said. And now we just paid them a couple months ago for this second study. And again, they don't specialize in policing. They don't specialize in, and this is this company, Miffelhunt from Washington, D.C., who are academics who look into white supremacy, look into veterans being um, aggressive to areas, and, and, and people like that. You know, parents at school board meetings. This is where this whole thing's coming from. So officials expect Mifflehun's ARPA-funded work to inform the work 
of a potential violence intervention program. We've been looking to the Mifflehun study to help us tease out exactly what that would look like, Cognetti said. What this funding does is get us ready for something like that. It's unclear exactly what is right for Scranton, which is why we're very excited to have the study ongoing. Officials have been studying violent interventions programs elsewhere, including the city of York's group violence initiative, as potential models for similar programs here. Well, I think local law enforcement, I think the local DA's office, I think people in the community of Scranton have a pretty good grasp on what violence is around our area. Maybe she should have some town hall meetings on that. Cognetti envisions Scranton potential program eventually operating as or through a separate entity outside of city government or the Scranton Police Department with community leaders and staff engaging young people to work to prevent and interrupt violence. Yeah, that should be going on on itself. But she's asking for more than half a million dollars of federal tax dollars for something she really doesn't have an idea about for an organization that really doesn't specialize in law enforcement or gangs. And their history with the city of Scranton and the taxpayers is less than forthcoming because they don't provide all the details of past studies they've done. So forgive me if I'm a little skeptical of what's going on here. And so should you as a taxpayer of Scranton or anyone who visits. Four o'clock here on WILK. We'll be back.